Totally Football Show, featuring more shocks and defeats than a Dutchman with cold toes. As we take a break from the domestic game to discuss what's coming home, who's reminiscing Le Coupe à la Maison and what happened in Aarhus, it's a totally international football show. with another totally football show. In the pod today, we've got Michael Cox. Hi, James. Author of The Mixer. Yes. How's it doing, Michael? All right, it's out in Polish now, if you happen to be in Poland. All right. Tom Williams, author of Do You Speak Football? Hello, James. Is there a Polish edition of that with a big chapter of English football sayings? There will be. There will be, yes. Polish, French and German. Which English football saying do you think they'll be most flabbergasted by? Bounce back ability. (laughs) Takes a bit of explaining. You need to know Ian Dowie to really get it. I think you need to know Ian Dowie, full stop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also here today, Daniel Story. Good morning. Which is a great case of nominative determinism, given that you too are now a published author with an actual physical print book coming out. Yes, uh, Gaza in Italy is out on the 20th of September and right. can be pre-ordered now. Excellent news. <laughs> all those books available in all the usual places for books. Anyway, speaking of promotion, it's one of the exciting features that UEFA have unveiled in their brand new Nations League promotion and, crucially, relegation. I'm going to declare this opening weekend a resounding success, eh, Tom? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it, it feels like a novelty still because... They have the feeling of one-off games and we're all getting to know the Nations League and its format. I think it'll be later on as the autumn advances and we start seeing which teams are in contention for promotion and relegation that it really captures the imagination. But I think, yeah, very successful start. It's already captured my imagination precisely because from the word go, that threat of relegation, that thrill of a possible promotion is is there. Lose your first game and you're suddenly at risk of, well, here's what Ken Early puts. Win your matches, you get to play more difficult and interesting games against some of the best players in the world. Lose and you might eventually end up in the same group as Ireland. <laughs> yes, that is true. Or maybe not. Ireland might uh, might be going down themselves. That's you know. true. But, uh... That's true. But yeah, I mean, the, the the shortened, the curtailed, the 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 compressed nature of the competition means that it's all to play for immediately. Yeah, I think it's quite exciting. The promotion and relegation aspect is is just great. I think, and the fact that you know. A third of the teams go up, a third of the teams go down. I think it's it's just going to be exciting. And, and people I've spoken to are just quite positive about it. I think there was a real kind of lack of enthusiasm for international friendlies. There are still some friendlies. But I just think giving international uh, football more structure, more meaning is a positive. And we're only one week in. But uh, I thought, you know, there were more exciting fixtures than we are uh, usually accustomed to at this at this point in the year. OK, listeners, there then followed about a five-minute argument about what the rules actually entail, <laughs> at the end of which we seem to have established that the best-ranked team that hasn't already qualified from each of the four levels will go through. Isn't that right, Daniel? All I know is that one of Azerbaijan, Macedonia, Belarus, Georgia, Armenia, Latvia, the Faroes, Luxembourg, Kazakhstan, Moldova, Liechtenstein, Malta, Andorra, Kosovo, San Marino or Gibraltar will qualify for Euro 2020. Which is great news for, for supporters in, in those countries. Absolutely. In the meantime, what was the best bit of this weekend for you? I was particularly thrilled with 
with Wales, Tom, their performance against Ireland. Yeah, well, I was worried that since it took place on Thursday, I uh. wasn't sure I'd be allowed to include that as my pick of the weekend. But since you mention it, yes, that would that would be my highlight. I mean, Ireland were, were dreadful yeah. and missing a lot of players. Um, and Ryan Giggs picked quite a bold team selection. 17-year-old Ethan Ampadu, uh, the Chelsea player, played holding midfield, absolutely ran the show. I mean, one of the most impressive international performances by a teenager I think I've, I've seen in recent years. Um, four really impressive goals. Uh, so yeah, great start to the weekend. Yeah, Ampadu didn't have quite such a successful time, of course, against Denmark. We'll touch on that a bit later on. Michael, what was your favourite bit? Uh, I very much liked Olivier Giroud's uh, volleyed swept home winner against Holland. I really like Giroud. I just think he's a fascinating player to watch. And um, he's quite a sensitive, shy guy and I think has kind of moments of, you know, loss of confidence. So I think not scoring in the World Cup probably would have annoyed him quite a lot. So to get the winner in their first competitive game, I think will be uh, a big boost to him. What is it that fascinates you about watching Giroud? I think just because he's so good at certain aspects of the play, but is really lacking in terms of speed. I don't think he's ever going to be a prolific goal scorer, but I think he's a great link man. He combines well with other players. I think he brings the best out of other players. I think Mbappe and Griezmann play much better when he's there rather than another kind of quick floating forward. So, I, yeah, I just think he's interesting to watch. It was a superbly taken uh, volley, wasn't it? Great goal. He's very good at first-time finish. Mm, right. OK. Uh, Daniel, your best pair? I will talk about the uh, the Seychelles reserve goalkeeper Kitson Cecil. Um, right, this is a tweet from Daniel's story. Yeah. Seychelles national team reserve goalkeeper. It's <laughs> called Kitson Cecil. The national stadium is by the coast, so it's Cecil for Seychelles on the seashore. Seychelles, who got beaten three 0 of course. Yeah, by, by Nigeria. He didn't feature. Mm. No. Their um, their first choice keeper, Dave Mussard, who do you know what his day job is? Because they all do, they, you know, they all basically work mm. and then if they can, they get across for, for training. But it's a bit of an issue. He's a pastry chef. Oh, that's lovely. He's a pastry And it looks like he takes a keen interest in his work, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that was, of course, in the African Cup of Nations qualifiers, mm. which threw up one or two other interesting, uh, interesting bits of information, which we may touch on later on. After this, though, it's everybody's favourite bit of the weekend, England. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Yes, Ben, Seychelles are in the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. But not for long, I'm thinking. Anyway, Saturday, England, Spain, Wembley. Daniel Story. I thought England got a lot of criticism after the game, which was always going to happen um, when they lost to a team that is probably better than them because the accusation at the World Cup was that we beat teams that were worse than us and lost to the teams that were better than us. But actually, I thought it was pretty good. One thing I do think is that this three-five-two system we use, which is ostensibly an attacking formation, I likened it to, to Arsenal at the moment in that it effectively becomes who can take their chances better. And England's biggest problem over the last two years has been finishing their chances. Um, Kane requires has always required a number of shots to score his goals and that's never a problem because he does get those number of shots but Raheem Sterling very famously Marcus Rashford Danny Welbeck they all take a number of chances to score and that isn't going to work because right. we, when we play better teams as we did with Spain they basically had two clear-cut chances and scored them both Right, um, Kane his, his shots per goal his chances per goal is falling dramatically though at the moment it is but he looks unfit I think um, certainly not at his peak he's, we saw at the, the you know the Spurs Man United game he still took the, the half chance that came his way but he doesn't look fit to my mind in terms of linking the play um, and it in this, the formation we played against Spain made Jordan Henderson look 
pretty lost in central midfield, I think. He got overran by, unsurprisingly overrun by um, two or three better midfielders than him. Mm. Um, I wondered, the, the piece I wrote wondered whether Southgate might have to change formation slightly when we play better teams. There's a weird thing about international football, whereas at club level you generally play in a league format teams that are within reason about as good as you or certainly deserve to be in the same league as you whereas obviously international football you can beat Panama 6-0 and then play Spain who are a completely di- you know a completely different level and I think that necessitates a change of, of strategy and a change of formation to, to deal with those two teams it's, it seems foolish to play the same against both I think one of the issues that England have got with that midfield three is the personnel perhaps even more than the system because there's not a single midfield player you know, was it Henderson, Lingard and Ali I think started against Spain none of those are players who you'd say of them their great strength as a footballer is their passing ability and there's this curious disconnect between the defence and the midfield with England in that Southgate has very deliberately picked three centre-backs who are all good on the ball but there's no one in the midfield who is really good on the ball and I think you can get away with that against inferior teams but if England are playing top level opponents you need at least one player who looks after the ball better than the midfielders England have been using at the moment. Deli Ali is, is probably in a little bit of trouble now in terms of his England place. I don't think, to my mind, I can't remember a game that he's played really well for England in the last 12 to 18 months. So Richard Joyce asking about this, suggesting that basically Lingard and Deli Ali is the new Gerard Lampard, that Lingard plays in Delhi's space, which pushes... Deli Ali deeper. Yeah, well, Ali's actually going to be out of the uh, game against Switzerland. He's got a thigh strain. Okay. So he's going to drop out automatically. I assume that means Ruben Loftus Cheek will come in. I must say, I'm not completely sold on Loftus Cheek. I think he's a decent enough player. I don't quite understand why people are raving about him. I think he's fine. I think, um, he's, I think he's one of those, as happens with a lot of players, that there isn't a perfect fit. So we think go for the young guy, mm. you know, go for the guy that hasn't proved that he isn't good enough yet. But he's, also, he's also become a symbol of a young English player who doesn't get a chance. And there's yeah. a lot of hope invested in him, and a lot of a lot of that is is down to the fact that he he symbolises sort of thwarted English youthful ambition, rather than you know as, as the guys were saying, someone who's who's proven himself in any way. I think in the long term it'd be good to see Harry Winks get a few games under his belt for Tottenham because he's that kind of passing midfielder that I think we we lack at the moment and probably have done for most of the last fifteen years, even when we have. Had good players, Michael Carrick, for example, often been underused. So it'd be nice to see him get some games for Spurs. Quick word on Spain. Only the second ever win for the Spanish at Wembley. And you know what's so significant about this one? I think they both featured Alonso. They both featured a Marcus Alonso. His father, Marcus Alonso Peña, uh, was a member of the Spanish team that won at Wembley in 1981. Extraordinary. <laughs> I read a thing that Alf Ramsey saying after the game in 1981. England were... Too light in midfield, Spanish were better passing rounders, switching the ball from flank to flank, and we couldn't we couldn't touch the ball in the second half. And I thought, not an awful lot's changed. Wow. Scary, no? <laughs> Scary. So um Spain are good again, Michael. This was their first game under Luis Enrique. Yes. What's different about them since the World Cup debacle? To be honest, I don't think that much is different. I mean, they've lost Iniesta and Silva, they've had good players come in. I mean, if the World Cup was to start tomorrow and they didn't have that ridiculous managerial upheaval. I'd probably make them favourites again, or very close yeah. to favourites. I just think that that changed, was it two days before the tournament? Just a ridiculous situation and, and really wasted a great group of players. I think they could have done something brilliant at the World Cup. It was interesting to see them play without Diego Costa pulled out of the squad. And obviously the the plan under 
lot to do was to have Costa as a focal point and the kind of midfield dancers all behind him. Whereas actually with Aspas, who moves around, and Rodrigo, who moves around, they basically had five of those midfield attacking dancers just all kind of filling each other's positions. And it it looked a lot harder to... I know Costa is brilliant, but it looked a lot harder to defend mm. as a system than than the Costa formation. It, it did feel like a new generation. Mm. I mean, I know Ramos is still there. Busquets is still there, but without Iniesta and Silva, obviously Xavi and Xabi Alonso had, had gone four years ago. Fabregas, I'm not sure, is going to play his back his way back into contention. So it now feels like the Isco team and the Thiago team, and I still think they're probably technically the best team in Europe still. Wow. Okay. Well, it was a sensational opening goal for England against the Spanish. Any other positives, Tom? Um, I mean, yeah, I think the fact that they competed with a team as good as Spain for as long as they did and, and had things gone slightly differently, you know, got a draw out of it at the end. Um, I think it's... I think everyone's conscious now that as impressive as England's run to the World Cup semi-finals was, it was dependent to quite a large extent on the kindness of the draw or the way that the draw opened up for them. So it's still hard to know exactly where to place England. Well, this um, is three defeats in a row now, actually. Three defeats in a row, yeah, but, I, you know, that there's not... I've not seen too much negativity. I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've touched on some of the failings that have been there for a while. The fact that, as Michael said, with the wing-back system, they're a bit vulnerable on the flanks. They don't have anyone who passes the ball in midfield. Mm. Um, they don't create a huge amount of chances. But as Gareth Southgate said after the game, you know, we have committed to this way of playing football. And to abandon it now would be to just, you know, to, to throw the last 12, 18 months away. Um, and, I mean, you look at the quality of that first goal. Yeah. When was the last time England scored a goal like that well, and, against and the Luke decent Shaw, team? Luke had he stayed on the mm. field, how much difference might might that have made? He, he really had a, a night to remember, which is ironic because he probably, he probably doesn't remember it very well. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he was obviously provided the, the pass for the goal and a, an, an exquisite pass, mm. really threaded the needle um, after England had, had recycled possession deep inside their own half and, and worked the ball forward. Um, Shaw was then partly at fault, I felt, for Spain's equaliser he charges up allows Carvajal to get past him and I think it was Rodrigo gets played in cuts it back for for Saul Niguez to score um, and then goes off on a stretcher after that really sickening heavy landing uh, and luckily by the sound of it it is just a concussion um, so obviously he'll, he'll be out for a little while but you know it looked like it could have been a lot worse at the time yeah. and, and the goal shows the benefit of having a left footer on that side which was a big problem for England I thought uh, in in the World Cup, Ashley Young did a, a good job defensively, but he was always coming inside. And just that bent pass around the defence is a weird goal because I thought his first touch was too heavy, and then I thought his cross was over hit, but I was wrong on both <laughs> counts. Anyway, anyway, next up, Spain hosts Croatia on Tuesday night. Should be an interesting game in that group. England, meanwhile, have a friendly. Remember those? Uh, on Tuesday, up against Switzerland, who, lummy, had the standout result of the weekend, a 6-0 win over Iceland. Joe Luscombe saying, did you see Iceland losing 6-0 to Switzerland? They've been Toblerone'd. <laughs> to find out what went on and what to expect from the Swiss, uh, let's speak now to Oliver Zessiger, co-head of research for Football Manager in Switzerland and a real-life football scout to boot. Hello, James. Hello there. 6-0 against Iceland. Last time we saw your lot, they were going out uh, with something of a whimper against Sweden in the World Cup. What's happened? Um, a lot, actually. A lot. Uh, most of it internal stuff at the association. Um, but uh, there is a younger team playing right now. There is. Uh, there was no player playing over 30 years old uh, against Iceland. Uh, Jan Sommer with 29 was the oldest player. There's a new captain in Granit Xhaka. At least uh, uh, if Lee Steiner doesn't play. 
And uh, Vladimir Petkovic has managed to make this team play more direct football, not to dwell on the ball for three, four, five seconds, but to play the ball to the next player, to the next teammate. And uh, I thought it was very, very effective uh, on Saturday against Iceland. Mm. Well, certainly the 6-0 scoreline suggests you're not wrong. What about the the upcoming friendly with England? Is Petkovic going to experiment further or are we going to see a similar side? I think you'll see a spine uh, of uh, Summer, Shakiri, um, maybe Manuela Kanchi in defence and, uh, and Shaka. But then some experiments. I think Lichtsteiner will play again. He is now 34. It's one probably one of his last uh, international caps. And uh, he plays in England, so it's a good chance for him to, to show England what he can do. And then I expect some older players mixed with some younger players. Johan Chiru could get a cap. It's a very good game to, to show that the 6-0 was just, wasn't just a one-off. Um, so it's a good uh, game to prove uh, for this first side that, really, that they have really improved since the World Cup. Tom, you're going along to Leicester. Yeah, apparently so. Yes, I'm going to Leicester for the game. Did you know it was in Leicester? I did know it was in Leicester. Um, I initially thought it was at Wembley and then I double checked okay. saw that it was in fact in Leicester alright and uh, you're going along for work or, or for pleasure? work yes yeah. for work Yeah. what are you most looking forward to seeing um, I've not been to Leicester for a while okay. I quite like the King Power um, usually get a good spread in the King Power press room their cakes in particular are um, are worth the trip but then okay. given it's going to be FA jurisdiction I'm not really sure how that's going to work out so that's probably the thing that I'm most interested not about. say Shakiri or uh, no I'm looking forward to seeing Switzerland I thought they were enjoyable during the World Cup I mean yeah. that very creditable draw against Brazil in their yeah. opening game and then that game against Serbia that we watched here fantastic end-to-end game and Shakiri sprinting clear in the final minute to score um, and then ultimately sort of ran out of puff a little bit going out against Sweden in the last 16 um, going into the game off this you know this this nice breezy win over Iceland um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how we get on. I'm curious as to see whether Gareth Southgate's waistcoat will make a return because he wasn't wearing it at Wembley mm. and obviously England lost again. So, you know. But he wasn't wearing it when they lost against <laughs> but, uh, against uh, Belgium. Well, he's got a decision to make, hasn't he? Mm. OK, we'll be back with more top analysis after this. He lines up to hit it and yeah! It's deflected for a corner. That's over 12 corners. Yes. <coughs> no time to take it, though. It's finished nil-nil. What a result. Sorry, our fault. You see, with same-game multi-bets from Paddy Power, you can combine multiple selections from one match into one bet, and you'll get money back as a free bet if one leg of your four-fold same-game multi-bet lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match four-fold same-game multi-bets on UK and top European leagues. Max free bet £10 per customer per day. Minimum odds. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. Hey, last Monday, I remember uh, Michael and Daniel, you were both racing off to go to the Manchester writing football thing. Yeah, more yeah. or less. Yeah. And Tom, you were there as well. Also there, yes. How was it? It's good fun. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, nice one. Uh, you're, uh, Michael and Daniel, you're going to be part of our Totally Football Live mini tour that's happening over the next few weeks. Michael here in London on Monday the 24th of September with Duncan Alexander and James Horncastle. That's at the South Bank Centre. Friday the 5th of October, Daniel, mm-hmm. we're at Oop North mm-hmm. in Manchester at the Royal Northern College of Music. Also in attendance, Rory Smith and James Horncastle and, uh, you know, like baying, hordes of baying fans. 
the northern panel, isn't it? The three, kind of is, the three really. most northern people you could south, get. South extends Midlands. to Daniel in the, in the middle. It's very much a Watford Gap situation for me from Loughborough is seen as a northern correspondent. I like it. Are you not a northern correspondent? Well, I'm not expecting you to do a Midlands show, so... Well, we've done it. Oh, no, we haven't. Yeah, we, we did. did Birmingham, but I wasn't invited, so that's a sore point. All mm. oh, right, sorry about that. <laughs> well, maybe you can play yourself back into the team with this. Thank you. Of, yeah. Anyway, 24th of September in London, southbankcentre.co.uk for your ticketing needs. 5th of October at the Royal Northern College of Music, and that's ctickets.com. But hurry. Now, um, oh, Tom, we mentioned before one of the standout performances of the weekend was Wales. It was a kind of weekend of highs and lows because you had that extraordinary performance against Ireland and then the Danish team turned up. When did you realise that you were actually going to be playing proper uh, proper footballers? They announced it just before kick-off in the Wales-Ireland game. Um, so they knew a few days in advance. Um, and I mean, Wales played so well against Ireland, uh, completely played them off the park. So they went into the game against Denmark with a lot of confidence. Um, gigs basically kept the same team. He made a slightly curious decision of taking David Brooks out of the team, the, the young Bournemouth winger, um, who's had a really impressive start to life at Bournemouth after joining from Sheffield United. He was quite impressive against Ireland. He was on the bench. They put Connor Roberts, the Swansea right back, who'd scored in the game against Ireland, looked really impressive. Mm. He played on the right wing um, and not necessarily as a direct consequence of that. But Gareth Bale ended up looking quite isolated um, and... Uh, I think all the the great things that we saw from uh, Ethan Ampadu uh, against Ireland, uh, he was a bit less impressive against Denmark, um, partly at fault for the opening goal. Christian Eriksen gets left in acres of space on the edge of the box, puts in a low shot that goes in off the post. And then uh, later on in the second half, uh, Ampadu was uh, penalised for a handball in the penalty area. Eriksen scores uh, and it's it's 2-0 to Denmark. And had it not been for Wayne Hennessy making a few late saves, it, it could have been a more comfortable win for Denmark. So a bit of a bit of a reality check for Wales. But uh, I think that, that win against Ireland was you know was a, obviously a really good start. Ryan Giggs' first competitive match uh, and sets them up pretty well. The only time in, in your last four games that you've actually scored any goals? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So goals how making much trouble though? How much trouble though were Ireland in, do you think? I mean, yeah, lots of trouble. Um, I mean, as I said before, they, they were missing quite a lot of players. Um, and I think, you know, you look at where Wales and Ireland are in, in terms of their evolution as international teams. And Ryan Giggs picked quite a lot of new faces. I mentioned Connor Roberts, um, Ethan Amper. You had Chris Meffham, the Brentford uh, centre-back, uh, David Brooks as well. Um, but even though you've got all these new players, Wales have been playing the same way now for the last three, four, five years. So those players slot in, they know what's expected of them. I don't think Ireland have anything like the same sort of coherence in their play. Um, I mean, I, I remember when they beat Wales in the World Cup qualifying playoff. They're a very sort of rugged team. They're quite an opportunistic team, but there's no sort of real kind of vision about the sort of football they're trying to produce. And I think I think you saw that. Um, and yeah, I mean, Ireland's absentees means that, that there were some mitigating factors, but yeah, pretty abject performance. I think Ireland is possibly a pretty long-term problem as well they don't seem to be producing good footballers anymore the you know the the domestic league um has tailed off hugely i think obviously wales certainly and and northern ireland as well to some extent had you have issues with the domestic league the gap between that and the chasm between that and the international team but for ireland it always felt like a little bit of a a halfway house to english football you know you'd have championship teams and be buying players from the irish league and then they'd make the step up there doesn't seem to be that level of player anymore that that's getting brought over and i think that's a really long-term problem they always were able to rely on a 
superstar play, you know, Robbie Keane or Roy Keane or going back to the 1990 team, several very, very good players. But, you know, there isn't one player in that team really that played against Wales that, that Wales would really want, which is worrying, really. I think the management team as well, yeah. you've got to question them. I mean, this might be a the wrong way to look at things, but I thought at the World Cup, I thought both Roy Keane and, um, and Martin O'Neill in their punditry just seemed quite behind the times, quite clueless about the way modern football was played. There was a, a debate between O'Neill and Eni Aluko about Javier Hernandez's qualities. And O'Neill was just talking about, you know, Hernandez doesn't hold the ball up and, you know, these kind of things that you associate with kind of 1990s football. Like the game's moved on and and I thought that was a little bit almost embarrassing, to be honest, to watch. Mm. Ireland will be facing Denmark in the next round of matches, which is in October. Uh, Ericsson has now been involved, directly involved in 20 goals in his past 18 appearances for Denmark. And that's the kind of classic Ericsson goal, the first one. He's so good at those kind of slightly awkward, maybe 15 to 20 yards shots that just find the bottom corner. You know, he doesn't score screamers, but he's just really clinical and efficient. That's the only place he could have put the ball and it was right in off the post. He's so good at that. Mm. In other news, Scotland have ooh, Albania uh, this Monday evening. Uh, they're coming off a big defeat against Belgium and a match that proved hazardous in more ways than one, eh? You know, because there was Torgan Hazard as well as Eden Hazard. Uh, there's another two of them waiting in the wings as well. Loads of Hazard brothers. Mm. Very exciting. Northern Ireland, unlucky to lose 2-1 to Bosnia-Herzegovina. It was a really bad weekend all round for the home nations because the only one that nation that won were Wales and they also they were the only one to play two UEFA Nations League games and obviously lost the other um Scotland were I know they were playing Belgium but Scotland were absolutely terrible Lee Griffiths is the kind of focal point up front is a slightly worrying again worrying situation they just aren't producing the players um the kind of hopes are obviously pinned on Andy Robertson um but as a left back in international football it's very hard to dominate the game so yeah well they've got him and Tierney haven't they so you mm. wonder whether Robertson might play higher up the pitch because he's a, he's a really creative player I think isn't he Colin Bridge <laughs> well yeah hopefully better than that but <laughs> that's the problem if you've got two fullbacks you know in the same position you know you're going to have to fit them into the team and I think Robertson could play in a, in a more prominent position. Than that. I mean, if you look at Robertson's average position for Liverpool, he basically spends most of the time in a kind of conventional left winger role anyway, so you think he'd be well suited to that. But similar thing with England, Walker and Trippier. It's, you know, obviously, you want to produce great footballers. When you've got two who play in exactly the same position, it's, it's not always straightforward about how you fit them in the same team. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. What was the biggest win you saw this weekend, Daniel? It was Manchester United women 12, Aston Villa nil. Interestingly or not, uh, it was Manchester United's record victory. Man United men's is 10 nil, and in their first ever league game, Manchester United women won 12 nil. Wow. Um, the, the worry there, and, and there was a reason for putting Manchester United women into the second tier rather than the top tier initially, um, is that Aston Villa are not deemed to be one of the weaker sides in that league. Um, so it is going to be a you know a season long cakewalk for Manchester United and and then when they play the likes of Chelsea, and Manchester City, and Arsenal next season, it will obviously test them out a little bit more. But it was yeah, it was embarrassingly easy. What was the reason that they were put into the second tier? I think just because they're a new team and it was deemed to be um, competitively unfair just to put them straight in the top league. I see. Okay, Arsenal. You mentioned they had a hefty five nil thrashing of Liverpool in the Women's Super League. The big game was it on Sunday? Chelsea, Man City. That yeah. finished nil nil. As did. The old firm game, mm. women's old firm game, which, yeah, 
happened before a select crowd of, I think, about 200 people. Mm. wasn't very publicised, that one. Uh, anyway, hmm, excellent. So the women's football season getting underway after their uh, recent international successes. Tom, what does this music mean to you? Stade de France, Sunday, France taking on Holland, and that's the sweet sound of Veggie Dream. Veggie Dream, yes, the French rapper who brought out, um, quite opportunistically, a song about France's World Cup winners like the day after the final. Uh, it's become this big hit in France, and he joined the players last night after the victory over Netherlands um, for a big uh, post-World Cup celebration because if you remember when France returned from Russia they were supposed to have this big parade down the Champs-Elysees but the plane landed two hours late so they went down the Champs-Elysees in 12 minutes so you've got hundreds of thousands of France fans who've all packed in there with their faces painted their trickle or flags and the bus just zooms past because they had like a reception at the Elysee Palace or something then there was a rumour that they were going to appear on the balcony of the team hotel but they didn't so they've not really had a chance to celebrate the the World Cup win with their fans. So after the game last night, there was a big ceremony, uh, light show. The players were introduced one by one uh, and they did a big lap of honour. Um, Angolo Conte was sort of lifted into the air, serenaded by by the whole uh, the whole stadium. And Singing. it was a nice moment. Ramener la coupe à la maison. Ramener la coupe à la maison, indeed. Very catchy number. I downloaded it this morning. Did you? Oh yeah, bit of okay. an airworm. So uh, anyway, in in and amongst all of that, Michael, you'd have seen that they had a nil-nil draw with Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, which did, did you see Ariola's performance in that? Yeah, he was outstanding, and it was interesting because he was pretty much the only change from the World Cup winning side. Otherwise, the the outfield team was exactly as it was for the uh, for the knockout stages. So yeah, I wonder whether he'll kind of take the lead now. Lloris hasn't had a great couple of seasons. Um, obviously, was the captain made a terrible error in the World Cup final which everyone's forgotten about because it didn't matter in the end. But uh, with Ariola performing like that, I think he'll, he'll probably keep his place. Right, okay. I mean, he's, he's seen as the heir apparent to Lloris uh, and also at PSG. I mean, he we were expecting this season that he would be PSG's first-choice goalkeeper and then they go and sign Gigi Buffon. You don't sign Gigi Buffon if you're not going to play him. But in recent weeks, Ariola's been playing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether he's able to supplant Buffon as, as number one at PSG because certainly with, with France there's a position there um, that, that people expect him to take Right Loris's boob in the cup means Areola will become <laughs> prominent or something, like, or something that. like that Yeah will stand out <laughs> Yeah Maybe uh, Okay uh, Italy less exciting I don't know if you saw this their one-one draw with Poland yeah. The dawn of the new era under Roberto Mancini didn't have a shot until the seventieth uh, minute or so, when Chiesa came on, uh, Federico Chiesa, to the delight of Italian headline writers, because Chiesa means church, mm-hmm. and Fede, which is his kind of nickname, means faith. Mm. So you know, basically, all the headlines are now like, "Have faith, Mancini." Put the church in the centre of the village, to borrow Rudy Garcia's <laughs> favourite expre- expression. So yeah, basically, when they play tonight away in Portugal in their second group game, uh, they're expected to. Well, Balotelli's out because he was basically the scapegoat for the performance. I think he had about five touches in the entire game or something. Mm. Uh, but not a good game. Not much signs of anything being built. But they did look better when, when Chiesa came on. I thought Bernadeschi was quite bright as well. Had a um, couple of nice little yeah. touches. I mean, they both came through the 
Fiorentini system, mm. didn't they? Chiesa and yeah. Bernadeschi seen the bright new things. I, I'm really not in the mood for more Mancini and Balotelli squabbles. It's just that seems very five years ago. I, it feels like the storyline's been done. Let's move on to something right. else. You know? Did you know that each of Italy's last 12 goals have been scored by different players? Interesting. Yeah. Did mm. you know they've only won one game in eight now and that was against Saudi Arabia? Chiesa looked good when he came on, but there's not... There's no obvious queue of candidates waiting behind those players to s- step in either. There's some there? young, promising players, but yeah, nobody, you know, there's no really star name, I, mm. I guess. Nice to see uh, Jorginho's uh, hot mm. penalty again. I yeah. never get tired of watching that. Yeah. Big fan of that. Anyway, so Monday night against Portugal, we'll probably touch on that in Wednesday's Golazzo. Russia, they beat Turkey in Turkey 2 1. Great goal by uh, Chechsev, another by Zuba. A fine start for Russia to their Nations League. A campaign, but uh, one that was almost overshadowed by the other big Russian football news. And I refer to the fact that John Terry is back in Moscow, seeing of his previous triumphs, signing a two-year contract with Spartak. Producer Ben did the obvious thing and rang up Sasha Gurionov to ask him how that's gone down in Mother Russia. It basically broke Russian football over the weekend. All anyone is talking about is John Terry signing for Spartak Moscow. It's not a completely illogical signing um, because Spartak are actually struggling for centre-backs. They lost Samuel Zhigo, uh, whom they signed in the summer from Ghent, to an ACL injury against Zenit. Uh, so they're d- down to two centre-backs uh, and they actually needed someone else. Obviously, after the transfer window shut, they could only sign three agents. And this is where Terry popped up. As you say, Sash, a lot of eyebrows raised by a 37-year-old former England captain going to Sparta. What can Terry offer a team who finished third last season but got utterly smashed by Liverpool in the Champions League? Well, he certainly can't offer much pace. Uh, but as Sergei Ignashevich has shown over a number of years, he doesn't really need pace to play in the Russian league. So what he can offer is a lot of experience. Uh, plus, uh, and this is just on the pitch, off the pitch, of course, he can... Um, potentially pass on his experience to his younger Sparta colleagues. But also, I think the value of PR, from a footballing point of view, there are question marks where this is going to work out. But in terms of putting Sparta back on the map, I mean, this has been absolutely extraordinary. Um, This is the only thing everyone's talking about. But also, I think the uh, Russian football might suit John Terry uh, because it's naturally a low-scoring league. I think this season they're averaging less than two goals per game. Sparta have also somewhat tweaked their system and gone more defensive. So they've only actually conceded one goal in the first six games, and that was from the halfway line against Dino and Moscow. Um, so they are uh, getting more defensive, more compact, um, and uh, this is, I think, where Terry could prob- should probably fit in. Plus, there is a young goalkeeper, and I think Terry's presence in aura can possibly help all these guys around him. We saw Terry's predecessor as England captain, David Beckham, finally announce the name of his Miami team last week. Um, is there any suggestion that Terry's got anything in his contract like say, a manager's gig at the end or a franchise option a la Beckham? <laughs> Currently, he's there to play, but I think also we've only had a few days. Uh, so far, um, Spartak, I think, have been just very, very busy getting him through the door. Uh, the deal is one year with an option of another if, you know, if all parties agree to it. So there is currently no other bells and whistles on top of this. He's there purely to play. Um, one of the major selling points for John Terry as well, John Terry abroad, I mean, okay, I speak from Russian point of view, he's seen as the epitome of the British footballer, you know, honest, gets stuck in, you know, cleans players out, you know, puts his head on the line, as we have seen, you know, doing those headers along the floor. So he's seen as that's basically, maybe in Russia, from Russian point of view, they basically signed English football. Yes, it's really old, but this is the symbol of the game. It's an iconic figure. We haven't seen many of these in Russia. I mean, we've seen Samuel Eto'o, 
uh, in the past we've seen Roberto Carlos, but perhaps Terry, you know, his name and ranking uh, in Russian eyes is somewhat on par with those guys. And finally, Sasha, uh, beyond JT, do you think the success of the World Cup means we'll see more players and actually younger players heading over to the Russian Premier League? We have seen some players at over. Uh, for example, um, Benedikt Hervides, um joined from Schalke. He uh, went to Lokomotiv Moscow. But then, again, he's sort of over the hill, um, perhaps on the downward trajectory. He's only, play- he's only played 10 minutes so far. Another big signing that was so is Claudio Marquisio, um joined Zenit. And he actually flew in yesterday and because of the John Terry news. Was, this is completely under the radar. So it is, at the moment, it is hard to tell. I mean, Terry isn't on a huge contract. I think he's it's probably worth, I think, in the region of two million until the end of the season. Uh, however, uh, football is undergoing a bit of a boom at the moment. I mean, the Russian league attendances are um, hovering towards twenty thousand at the moment. I mean, these numbers haven't been seen since the Soviet days. And even in the first division, the former World Cup stadiums are gathering quite large crowds. So, uh, I don't believe it's going to trigger a massive influx of foreigners because the Russian league isn't as wash, as wash with money as it has been before. However, you know, signing like the likes of John Terry should keep um, Russian League in the news. Spartak Moscow are in the Europa League, of course, but disappointingly, John Terry didn't sign in time to make the list, so we won't be seeing him in action against, for example, Rangers. Mm-hmm. Fred the Leopard says, which nation will be first to play in all four Euro Leagues? Tough one, though, isn't it? Well, no, I one's, think you... no one's going up from D to A, so it has to be someone going down from A to D. Uh, and my initial look says Iceland. Iceland. Right. Here's a question from AJ Cortese, who says one of the biggest chasms between the professional level and the amateur level is the quality of headers. Pros make it look so easy when it's clearly not. Who are some of the best headers of the ball you've seen? Cristiano Ronaldo, obvious candidate. Oh, yeah. Tim Cahill. Timmy Cahill. Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll. Big Dunk Ferguson. Oh, yeah, OK, fair enough. How about Robin Van Persie in the World Cup against Spain? Yeah, not renowned for his heading, but one, ah, of, one of the great modern-headed goals. Yeah, I quite like it when you have smaller players who are maybe not dominant in the air, but good technically headers. So I think Javier Hernandez was always very good in the air. Michael Owen, surprisingly, mm. had a good... Yeah. Uh, Javier Hernandez did things oh. with his head that you know, you, you'd never seen a player do before. Yeah, well, there was that famous one he scored a back header for Manchester United. Mm. And the only comparable one to that was another Mexican, was uh, Jared Borghetti. Mm. Oh, against yeah. uh, Italy in the 2002 World Cup, which I think is my favourite header of all time. Really? Because it was why, why... just... Just the angle just didn't look right. I've never seen anyone twist their body and then send it into the far post. Buffon just looked absolutely shocked when it flew past him. And the, the build-up is really good as well. It's a great goal to watch if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, Agreed. Honourable mention for Holmes Under the Hammers, Dion Dublin. OK, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Many thanks for that question. Why World O Football? Have we done... Nations League, I feel that we have. No, I was just going to say, the, the, one of the nice things about the Nations League is that we get to see minnows against minnows, not just trying to keep the score down. And Luxembourg had never won a competitive game by more than two goals, and they won 4-0 uh, well, against... they did have a win in the Olympics, didn't they? Not Doesn't senior really level, though, is it? Oh, was it? Yeah, right, OK. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, they beat Moldova. Yeah. I mean, that the, the League D group too, I think, is interesting because obviously the Nations League is about putting teams together of roughly the same calibre. And yet the results in that group were Belarus 5, San Marino 0, Luxembourg 4, Moldova 0. So maybe actually there's, there's more difference between that calibre of sides than we think. You know, Belarus and Luxembourg. Belarus certainly do produce some good players. Luxembourg maybe, I'm not sure. Um, but San Marino and Moldova are not going to be any better off, I don't think, from this system. So that what, what you're essentially saying, Michael, is they need a fifth tier. 
Well, maybe. I mean, those groups are all from from the League C and League D. They're right. all four teams rather than three. All right. If we so. could go with the Goombe dance band suggestion, I'd have seven tiers. Before your time, I see. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't get that. Um, yeah. USA played Brazil. Richardson made his debut. David Moyes went along to watch, so he's mm. still in the mix, as we were hearing just last week from George Koreshi. Uh, elsewhere in uh, in the Americas, Diego Maradona is the new manager of second... To- Michael. No, I just know the story and I found it funny. We got What? No, no, no. You, he's, the, well, he's the manager of second-tier Mexican football club Dorados of Sinaloa. What, what, what's funny about well, that? Well, the report I read was in the Times uh, that said Diego Maradona has signed for a club in the centre of some it's, big drugs cartel or something, and Maradona right. was surprisingly up for the Chipper? offer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Didn't he have a role at another club? Wasn't he, like, director of football or sporting advisor, and they didn't... Like they hadn't been informed that he was. Well, he hadn't turned up, I think, since the first. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in Iraq, wasn't it? I'm not sure. Do you know what? We'll ask Jack Lang because he's in on Thursday. This mental note, so I put a post it there. It's crazy to think he was actually in charge of Argentina like two World Cups ago. (laughs) That was an incredible story. He had no idea what he was doing, did he? Yeah. Oh, this is an incredible story as well. Not international football, but still, FA Cup preliminary round Saturday afternoon. uh, Metropolitan FC in action in the FA Cup preliminary round. Uh, they won 3-2 against Cray Wanderers, so the police finally got the better of the Crays. Hey. Magnificent. Many thanks to producer Ben for sending that one in. Do you know what uh, song uh, Met Police play as the teams come out? Can You Feel the Force? No, that's good, actually. That's good. Is um, it the theme music from uh, Cops? No, <laughs> that would also work. You remember that? Yeah, Bad Boys, Bad Boys. That's what I play if I was you in could the have, team. You could have, of course, had Zed cars like you know, Everton. Like Everton. Yeah. Not that, I'm afraid. Theme tune from the bill. No. Thin blue line. <laughs> that should be the end, I think. It yeah. should be the final. They should walk right, off like they walk off in the credits on the bill. <laughs> yeah. Like in twos. <laughs> I'm afraid it's uh, I Fought the Law and the Law won. Uh, yeah, it also works. That's, that's the best of all. Yeah. That is very, very yeah. good. Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. So it's not just it. the Seychelles, you know, Daniel. No. You also had Egypt with their new manager, Javier Aguirre. Yeah. They faced Niger, and Niger certainly felt the wrath of Aguirre as they lost 6 0. If you're a fan of 6 0 scorelines, have some of that. And Werner Herzog films. Yeah. Anyway, Mo Salah scoring twice, had two assists, and missed two penalties. Perhaps, Daniel, you're more excited than in Burundi's 1-1 draw with Gabon, which featured what? It featured Saido Berahino scoring on his international debut. He's on fire. Yes. Which is actually really, with all these stories, there comes a period of mockery and then kind of concern, I think. And then everyone's just really, I hope now everyone is just really happy for him. I'm really happy for him. That's two goals in 11 days after 913 days without without one. Right. Uh, That was his debut for the East African nation. Uh, They were playing, obviously, Pierre-Emerick Aboumeyang's Gabon, Mm. and uh, he equalised 40 minutes from time. But Burundi are top of Group C. Reading a report about the African qualifiers, there is a a sense that the lesser nations, unlike in Europe, are getting much, much closer to the bigger nations. So Madagascar drew with Senegal and Comoros drew with Cameroon. Right. Which obviously... very, very, you know, that's the that is the equivalent of a very low-ranking team in Europe holding one of the giants, and that can only be a good thing. I think is the Comoros. conclusion. Comoros, yes. Yeah. Comoros, who are 
basically in the Indian Ocean, what, north of Madagascar? Mm. Huh? Mm, he said. <laughs> yeah, no, they are. They have a population of about uh, three quarters of a million. They're ranked 149th in the world. And uh, they were hosting Cameroon, which is, of course, uh, now under the uh, the guidance of Clarence Seedorf and Patrick Cliver. That's the management dream team currently guiding the indomitable Lions, mm. uh, who were pretty much dominated uh, <laughs> 1-1 by Com- the Comoroir. Yeah. And yeah. Ke- Kenya beating Ghana was the other one. Oh, yeah. The other shocker. Oh, it's a slightly weird situation with Cameroon where they've obviously already qualified as hosts, but they're in the oh, qualification yeah, process, yeah. Um, which I think does seem to be the way to do things to give them a sense of competitive games. Right. There's a nice picture on Twitter of the uh, Comoros Stadium, a very low stand, and behind it you can see all the palm trees. Oh, very, right. very picturesque. Lovely. 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 Okay, anyway, that was our uh, thorough roundup of the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. Anything else we should, we should be talking about before we just shut up shop until Thursday? Have we mentioned Ryan Barbell and his pink hair? I don't believe we have. against France. I think we should mention that. Okay. There it is. Okay. <laughs> Ryan Barbell, who... Now, had he been part of the Dutch team for a while? I missed that. He scored in March. Oh, so he has been, a, yeah. been, on, the, been on the scene. So yeah. he started last night on, on the left wing for Holland um, and... Holland basically weren't in the game at all for the best part of an hour um, uh, and then got into it and equalised Kenny Tett with a cross from the right and, and Ryan Barbel sporting a very striking pink dye job uh, gets in front of Benjamin Pavar and kind of bundles one past uh, Alphonse Ariola. Uh, so Ryan Barbel back on the international scene. Boom. Was Pavard still sporting the scars from his clash with... He uh, couldn't see the scars, no. With Rudiger on... Mm, uh, I assume they're still there unless... Nuts. French physio, no, yeah, that was pretty horrible. Um, yeah, he got trodden all over by by Rudiger. Anyway, uh, we'll have more of this kind of thing and lots to talk about club football on Thursday when Totally Football Show returns. Now, though, let's get some of the odds on the games coming up later this week. Producer Ben has been talking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. It's Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. Lee, still international week. England were not so good against Spain. They're taking on Switzerland. I know that you're not a big fan of Iceland due to previous with England, but um, give me the overall on this one, please. Yeah, I've forgiven Iceland now. I think they've had their retribution of a 6-0 smashing by Switzerland. And hopefully England should beat Switzerland. We are odds on to do so. We're 8-13. to Switzerland are a chunky 4-1 to and it's 12-5 to for the draw. And what about six goals in this one? <laughs> um, it's 12 to 1 for more than five and a half goals. So six goals or more. That's a massive price. If you do fancy a goal fest, and why not? It's a friendly. Uh, it's quite a long price. Let's talk about Spain versus Croatia, which is uh, an actual competitive game in the Nations League in England's group. Croatia, World Cup finalists. What's going to happen here? I guess England need a Croatia win, uh, which is 4 to 1. Spain are four to six odds on to get the home victory and 13 to five the draw. This group could be dead of a Spain victory here. Elsewhere, it's Italy versus Portugal. Now, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't scored this season for Juventus. He's not going to score in this game either because he's not in the squad. Um, give us some odds for this fixture, which is sort of a glamour, a glamour game. Yeah, it's a, sort of the teams of yesterday almost. They were good five years ago or maybe in five years' time. We favour Portugal here, which surprised me slightly. What do I know? They're seven to five to win. Italy the same price of the draw, twenty-one to ten. I fancy that. And earlier in the show, um, I spoke to Sasha Gurionov about John Terry 
going out to Moscow. Uh, of course, we wish him all the best, but give us the odds on him not lasting the season out there. Yeah, I'm glad about this. We're trying to get him out to Dublin for uh, Paddy Power team. Uh, it's one to four odds on that he's not with Spartak Moscow on the first game of the next season. Uh, maybe he will be in Power Tower by then. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. We, I say we, but I, am back on Thursday. Jack Lang will be in, James Horncastle, and Emma Saunders does the stadium announcing for Watford. And I think England at the weekend. She did do England at the World Cup as well, didn't she? And at the World Cup and and on... uh... On Saturday. Right, OK. So she'll be in, in Leicester. Mm-hmm. I imagine her King talking Power. in a really loud, booming voice, but that probably isn't the case. We'll ask her to do a bit of, you know, to make it, to read out the announcements and stuff. Uh, that'll be good. So uh, do join us for that, listeners. Uh, many thanks, Tom, for being with us today. Enjoy your trip to the King Power on Tuesday. Thank you, James. Not at all. Daniel, thanks for, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. And you, Mr Cox. Thank you, James. Excellent. Uh, listener... Do appreciate you being with us and we'll catch up with you Thursday. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life really, and here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK, so that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.